from the get-go, like from the moment we sort of transferred money to the title companies and buy it and hiring that property management firm, it just became this long, long, I'd say sequence of unlucky, bad events that just like, it was just, I mean, it was a really bad investment experience. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community, where you get access to tools you need to create, grow, and protect your wealth. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Nitan Yahav. Nitan, are you ready to join the mission? I'm psyched, man. You're amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you on. And I'm looking forward to learning more about what you're doing. Let me introduce you to the audience. Natan sold and exited a startup, decided to invest a lot of the money he made into real estate, mainly syndications, and encountered a lot of good problems managing it. That's what led him to build a new startup to solve his problems and similar problems of millions like him. Visor that startup is the platform for investors with complex portfolios to manage cash flows, get insights, and build wealth. Latan, tell us a little bit about the unique value that you are bringing to this world. Yeah. So I like to think of it as I'm a problem solver and I love solving inefficient problems with technology. Many times in industries I know nothing about. So that's what I like. I tend to find that when you come to an industry you know nothing about, you don't have the limitations that many people that are in that industry have. And it gives you the ability to sort of think outside the box without having those sort of, those sort of inhibitions that people in the industry have many times. You're used to doing things in a certain way. And even though it's really bad and inefficient, you lose a lot of money doing so. That's just how we did it for mm-hmm. dozens of years. So, what, so when you come like with a fresh pair of eyes, that's sort of like where I, my passion is, finding those inefficiencies, those problems. It's interesting it's because... Those, yeah. I was going to say, it's interesting because some people do that by, let's say, taking over a company and saying, you guys are a mess and I'm going to fix this. And you do it through saying, hey, could I come up with something completely different and bring it to this space? Why is it that you approach it that way? I don't know. There's just something that I'm wired to sort of, I have this radar for problems that are very weird and inefficient and I love solving them. I mean, since mm-hmm. I was a kid, right? From building Lego through in the military where you have to solve complex problems with very limited resources, at least in the Israeli military and, and through sort of building, building startups, which is what I've been doing for the past 12 years. So anyway, so that's sort of like what, what led me to doing this. And tell us just a little bit about Visor and what you're doing with that. So we understand what that, what that's all about. So I'll give a brief history because it's important because that's what led us to Visor. So basically after I was in the Navy for six years, Went to school, started a company about 11 years ago at my last year of school. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old, married, I have three kids. So I'm the older side of those tech founders. But anyway, so we built a company in a weird industry, like I was saying, the diamond industry. So something like totally different. We did 3D imagery for diamonds. Sold that back in 2015, made some money, didn't make tens of millions, but made enough sort of to start to invest. 
and been doing that for the past seven years since the exit. And over the years, invested a lot of real estate, like you mentioned, syndications and private equity and startups and crypto and a bunch of stuff. And at some point for us, and this is our problems, it became a mess. Again, and good problems to have, like I mentioned, but it became a mess. Like our spreadsheets became insane and, you know, just documents and taxes. It just it became really hard. And so we built something for ourselves to manage our wealth, which was more complex than, the ma- than many other people. And then at some point, a bunch of friends wanted it as well. The same platform we built for ourselves. And we said, wait, there might be a whole business here. And that's when we decided, well, there are millions of people like us. And that's what Visor was born. So Visor is basically that platform for people that have more complex portfolios to manage everything there, to get that overview of what they have today, what they had in the past and what they'll have in the future with a lot of automations. We're trying to take sort of the family office approach. So it's essentially a type of virtual family office. Mm. And so it's not something that's got execution. It's taking data from different sources and basically saying, here's the whole portfolio and this is the the key issues you got or something like that. Or how, how does it work technically? Yeah. So it's from the back office level, even like when you get as an investor, you get documents from your the investments you're in and you just throw them into the platform and the platform analyzes the documents and creates assets or updates assets or liabilities automatically for you. Then you link in all your bank accounts and we automatically track transactions and link them to specific investments so that all the performance and cash flow is updated accordingly. And it helps you project forward how your life will look in the future based on all of that information. And then it also compares you to people like you in the platform so that you can make better decisions and understand in the world of the private markets, which is very ambiguous. Like no one knows in the private markets really who the good products are and who the bad ones are because there's no transparency. And so if we provide that transparency, then people can make better decisions and also communicate with each other based on their investments. And so so you're right. We are not actively managing any money. We do not advise on specific investments. And that's only in order to stay clean and unbiased and have no conflict of interest. And so, but we think there's enough value in creating that transparency and sharing of knowledge between investors to make better decisions. That's interesting about comparing to other people, because I know I, I've had a Fitbit since almost since it came out. And the best function of Fitbit is to be able to click on it and say, how's my health and my sleep and my activities relative to other men my age? And it's just nothing better than that. You know, once you've got it together, obviously the first step is you've got to get your stuff together. But once you've got it together, to be able to click on that and realize, like, see where you're at, so valuable. I would say almost addictive. So I think that's a really cool feature to have in it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we're a startup. We've been around for two years and it's a lot of work, but it's really, I mean, when you hear people getting so much value from it, that's just worth all the hard work. And, and so, and I, I, I use it. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I love it, obviously. So I'm, anyway. I'm thinking do hard things type of thing. Like you're taking on something that there isn't probably, I mean, I was, my, my other question I was going to ask is where are people going right now to solve this problem? The bank's trying to help them with a piecemeal thing, or there's, they're doing it through Excel or how are people doing it now? So, I mean, essentially, there are, but there are about 1,500 budgeting apps in probably in the U.S. alone like that help get everything in one place. But once your portfolio becomes a little more complicated with that type of, those types of investments, mm. there's nothing really for you. And then you just end up building a crazy spreadsheet or paying someone tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year 
going to do it for you. And for us, that didn't make any sense. So like, why don't we just build something to, to get into that vacuum and solve that problem? Well, for those listeners that are interested, I'll have the link in the show notes so you can check it out and uh, see if it's suitable for you. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's, I think it's fascinating. And, you know, congratulations for taking on what I would consider to be a pretty complex thing and helping people to simplify it in a world that just is constantly going to complexity, spiraling to complexity. But now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Right. So my worst investment was after we sold the company, we made some money. And at that point, obviously, a bunch of financial advisors and wealth managers approached us to offer to manage our money. But we were, we're smart guys. We can do it on our own. And we didn't really have much affection for the financial markets, the public markets. We believe like you know, index funds, stuff. that's what we believe in. So we put our public trades there, but we wanted to get into real estate. And, you know, the funny thing, so I live in Israel, right? And everyone here does real estate. It's like, it's crazy, but like every second person here does real estate passively and stuff like that. And so, you know, we met with some people and friends and friends of friends and friends of their friends. And then starting to understand, all right, we can buy these single family homes in Ohio through a guy who does real estate there. And that this full turnkey solution where they, they help us buy it. They, they find us a property management firm. That property management company then finds tenants and like, all right, we said, well, me and my co-founder, we said, all right, let's buy two single family homes in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. I think one of them was like Euclid and the other is Maple Heights. I think that's, that's those are the yep. names of the neighborhoods that we bought. And this, it was very cheap. It was a very cheap. This was back in 2015, I think. Two cheap single family homes, like each one was like $60,000. And from the get-go, like from the moment we sort of transferred money to the title companies and buy it and hiring that property management firm, it just became this long, long, I'd say sequence of unlucky, bad events that just like, it was just, I mean, it was a really bad investment experience, which led us to make other decisions. Because at that point in time, we invested, we bought those two single family homes while simultaneously also putting some money into real estate syndications. And so then just to see how those goes, and you always have this benchmark of, well, how passive that is and how much headache and heartache and just like sleep, it's like dealing with these two single family homes. So that's sort of like the backstory. So going into this investment, the two of us into a world of passively investing <laughs> into these rental properties only to understand that there was nothing passive about it, even having a property management firm. So I can dive into that if you want. Or, or yeah, I mean, tell us, tell us just a little bit about how it went. Like, what were some of the the errors or the the issues that happened going into that? Right. So first off, so we started to get emails from the property management firm about potential tenants. And again, our mindset going into this, and we didn't even see these properties, like we did not visit them physically. It's all like just remote. And our mindset investing in this with these, our strategy is always find people we can trust and invest passively with zero involvement. And that evolved a lot more concrete into that thesis and a lot more out of the active. So mm -hmm. it's like, all right, we hire this property management firm. I don't want to, I mean, I want to be passive, but then, you know, on the, every other day where we're on a call with this property management company, 
about tenants that they want to sign leases with. And I mean, I don't know if they're good or bad tenants. I trust you guys to decide if they're good or bad tenants. And anyway, we ended up getting two like a tenant for each of these properties. And then one of them is like two months in, they're not paying rent. And I, all right, what what do we do now? And then, and obviously, you know, there things are happening while this is like there's they're complaining about leakages from the roof and in the basement. And then there's a, on the other property, there's a tree that falls. And so we have to go and take care of that. In Ohio, I mean, no one told us that Ohio is mostly winter, right? And so like when it snows, you can't do anything. And then it's, it's and then that tenant that didn't pay, unfortunately, we had to go through the eviction process. But then when they left, they basically ruined the house. And so we had to put money back into the house. And so we held these, we only sold these properties like a year ago. So we held them for like five or six years almost. And we just kept on going through these cycles of, and because you're in, you're sort of losing money. You say, well, maybe at some point it'll turn up again and the value will go up. But then we said, let's just cut our losses and get rid of them. Because about three years in, and I think five tenants, like hmm. going in and out of these properties, the municipality started, both of them started to get on our, like sort of to knock on our doors and request that we fix things, that we get these notices from the municipality saying, your sidewalk needs to be paved. Now, usually these are things that the municipality needs to take care of. But what happened was because these two neighborhoods were getting, I don't know if it was foreign or just like in, or real estate investors that didn't really live there, the municipality said, oh, wait, let's just, there are these people here that have some, that have money. Look at this as a business. Let's just start sort of pushing the stuff that we should be doing to them because why not? And so we started to get these bills and notices to fix things that were under the municipality's responsibility, but they were pushing it to us. Mm -hmm. And now you're an investor, you have, then, then you have to start, all right, wait, let's talk with lawyers and start to, to sort of lobby against the municipality and say, hey, what the hell are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. This is, look at every other municipality in the, in the county. No one's asking their the properties to fix that type of stuff. So that, that was like the, you know, the the straw that broke the back of the camel, as we say. Uh, so like, that was like, all right, that was, let's just cut our losses and sell these properties. And we finally did that like a year or two ago. But also that led us to make a lot of decisions, even from the get-go that we're not, we're not doing that anymore just because it's not passive. Mm enough mm. and the risk like you say is too high and we can dive into that as well but anyway so that's sort of the the story of that bad investment for us and how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from it so one i mean it's a more tactical lesson right investing in in real estate in single family rental properties is never really passive that's the main lesson the second one is when you buy a single, when you invest in a single door, meaning a single family home has one door or one tenant, your risk is so much bigger as opposed to investing in a property that has multiple doors. And then you're diversifying your risk across different tenants, different doors. And I'm sure that we also had a lot of bad luck. I mean, we made mistakes. We should have sort of, again, been more active in screening tenants, been more active in talking with these tenants, not going making sure that everything's all right. But we didn't want to be active. We wanted to be passive. And so that was a contradiction there. So we decided, so those are the two main lessons, right? One, it's not passive. Two, it's high risk. Yeah. And when you look at, I mean, I think when you look at higher risk and obviously higher active activeness, the return has to be exponentially bigger than if you take the risk down and take the passiveness 
or make it more passive, right? And for us, it's like, I mean, I'm just reminding you that at that same time, when we went into these single family homes, we also began investing in syndications and the returns were better. And I, we're like, wait, hold on. That doesn't, what, there's an arbitrage here. Like, how is that possible that we're investing in syndications? No, we do we do zero work, nothing. We just have to, I mean, there is work in vetting and the diligence on finding people that are good that you can trust. But once that's in, you just transfer money and you just count cash coming in. And you're over multiple doors. So it's like, why in the world would I want to do that again when I can do this? So, Well, let me, maybe I'll, I'll share some of my takeaways from it. And well, one thing I can say is like on your app, when you compare yourself to other people, if we compare yourself to a, one of my guests, who was one of my first guests, he basically saw an opportunity. He was from Pakistan and he got a call about an opportunity to invest in property outside of London. And he was quite excited about it. And in a very short amount of time, he transferred the money to buy the property, never to see the money again or the property. So congratulations, you didn't have that happen to you. That's good. But when I think about it, it reminds me also of, uh, I bought a condo here in Bangkok and I realized after I bought it and I, I, it was built, it was being built. So when I finally went to kind of consider moving in, I kind of, it, it made sense, didn't make sense because the, the size of the square footage of it was like half the size of what I was staying in. And I was renting it, my current place for like a thousand bucks. And I was thinking to myself, okay, well, I'll just rent it. Oh, what a trouble it is to deal with tenants and getting tenants and keeping them happy. And then they leave and then this and that. And I just realized after a couple of years, I sold it. I was like, I do not want to be in the tent, you know, managing this type of property. And so it really did teach me not to do that for my case. But it also taught me that don't do something like that unless you're really scaling it because you're going to need a lawyer. You're going to need accountants. You're going to need people that are good with the taxes related to this. You're going to need a lot of help and you need to have the revenue to offset the overhead that you're going to need to be able to do it. The idea of just setting up and buying one or two. Yeah. If you're a local handyman and you're in the neighborhood and you saw this super well-priced thing and you can fix it up, it's a little bit different than, you know, in this case. So I know I've had other guests on the show that have talked about buying properties far away from themselves. And I always think that that is something that's just full of, of risk. So those are some of the things I was thinking about as you went through it. Anything you would add to that? Yeah, I think that I don't think it's a, there's a good or bad decision here in buying real estate remotely, just understanding the implications and not living sort of under the euphoria that, yeah, you're going to just generate passive income because that's what they tell you, right? You just buy property and you're going to start generating passive income. But if you get into it knowing this is going to be hard work, but if I fall through with it, if I follow through with it and, and gather more of them and create an operation like you mentioned mm. and sort of understand this is going to be an active it's a business. I'm not going to say, I mean, it is a business. You have to look at it as something that you're going to nurture and build and add more properties. Because again, if we kept with those two properties and bought more in that neighborhood, probably we would have then diversified. We'd have 10, 15, 20 doors, then diversify the risk. Some would profit more, some would profit less. You understand sort of, it would, but, but we didn't go in knowing we had this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there was just a lack of knowledge that we didn't even yeah. think about because we just took for granted that, yeah, it's going to be passive income. So, yeah, I agree. It's a lot more than people think. Well, and the great thing about this show and the, the sincerity that the guests bring to this show, like you, is it helps someone who's facing that 
exciting opportunity to invest just as you did. They're facing it right now. So let's think about that person. And I want to ask you the next question, which is based on what you've learned from this and what you continue to learn, what would be one piece of advice that you would give that person that is pretty excited about their opportunity that they found similar to what you talked about? What would be the advice you would give them to help them avoid suffering the same fate? I mean, so I think that well, the first thing is just being that mindset that you know when you get in the door here that you're going to something that's a long-term active aspect that has the ability to generate nice returns, but there's also a very big chance that it's going to be a flop. And so if you're in that mindset, you're going in to learn because we bought these two single families because we knew it was a learning curve. We didn't know how, how big of a learning curve it would be, but it's a learning curve because you're not going to be rich by buying one property, right? right. That will never work. But if you know you go if you go into this process understanding that it's going to be a learning process and you, it's just one step on that either to more properties or not doing it because you understand that it's not for you, that's sort of like the lesson that I would I would give someone who wants to get started in investing in real estate. Mm. Yep. And what's what's a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? So there's only one book I ever finished, and immediately after finishing it, started reading it again. And that's Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Yep. And it's, it's mind-blowing to understand that everything in our life is based at the end of the day on your ability to negotiate. From your kids, to your spouse, to your business partners, to your invest, anyone, investors, employees, it's all about sort of communication skills and negotiation skills. And so that was a super valuable book that I love recommending because it was just really, really beneficial to me. An excellent book. And I'll have that. I'll put a link in the show notes. I invited Chris to come on the show and he sent me a message and said something along the lines of, I'd like to understand how you, you know, could prove, you know, your, your listeners or something like that. And I must admit, I've, I've just been so nervous to write back to him after thinking about it. So I was thinking, you know, one way of writing back is to say, well, how would I do that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, some of his great tactics. I mean, it's yeah. a fantastic book. So I think it's a great recommendation. I hope I hope I can get him on the show to share his worst investment. And uh, I'll tell him that you've been on the show and you talked about his book. <laughs> and I think we're going to get him. So last All question. Right. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? So my next, my goal for the next 12 months is to, so it's pretty, I mean, obvious for me, cause I'm building this startup and a startup is a grind and every 12 months is sort of the, the marathon or sprint to build faster, bigger, bring more value. So my goal for the next 12 months is to scale this business, to bring value to as many people as possible and secure another round of funding so we can scale it even more. That's sort of like the 12, next 12 months for now. Double, double, double. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're, you're going to be able to do that because you've got an interesting idea and you're solving a pretty significant problem. And more than that, you're bringing a lot to that problem. So exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet become a member in the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and claim your spot. As we conclude, Latan, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A Stats Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? 
You're awesome. I love this. Thank you so much for having me. And good luck, everyone. With you know, I think you don't. You don't. And this is really a, a cliche, but it's so true. You will never learn if you don't fail. And I really believe in that. Taking yourself outside of your comfort zone and finding that way to fail so that you'll get better is so important. So I really appreciate what you're doing with this. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, you won't learn unless you fail. So get out there and try, but use the lessons that you learned from the podcast and like this one, this episode and all the others where you can put together a lot of stuff that can reduce your risk. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.